have experienced firsthand that only pursuing this physical ideal of, of wellness or well-being uh, doesn't really cut it without the, without the soul. What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I have a special treat for all of you. I have an amazing guest and also an amazing co-host. My friend Bryn Strange is joining me today as a co-host to interview Andrea Isabel Lucas. Both of them own bar studios and they have come together on this podcast to talk about wellness, with a splash of bar and a load of insights. Andrea Isabel Lucas is the founder and CEO of Bar and Soul, a boutique chain of innovative yoga and bar studios that are about to go national, and a keynote speaker who shared the stage with Michelle Obama and Billie Jean King. Her voice is inspirational and down to earth. Feminist and unapologetic about it, empowering with a badass spirit and cat eyeliner for days. Andrea has journeyed from a teen single mom, former stripper, domestic violence, and personal poverty survivor to the creator of a multi million dollar business. Her studios were recently awarded the prestigious Best of Boston Award 2018. I am excited to bring on Andrea and also very excited to bring on Bryn to ask most of the questions since this is about the bar form of exercise. If you aren't familiar with it, I highly recommend you checking it out. It's B-A-R-R-E, not the bar that you drink at, but B-A-R-R-E. It's an amazing workout. I personally love it. I am thrilled to bring both of these rock stars on and so excited you're here with us. Enjoy. All right, so excited to be here today with two guests, our primary guests, and then my co-host, Bryn Strange. So we are here with Andrea Lucas. Uh, Bryn was the one who taught me all about the amazingness of Andrea. We read her book. I bummed off of uh, Bryn's copy of her book. It's called Own It All, How to Stop Waiting for Change and Start Creating It Because Your Life Belongs to You. So thank you so much for being here, Andrea, and for co-hosting Bryn. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks, Bryn, for spreading the the gospel. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) All right, so we're going to dive into all the goodness in just a second, but as I ask all of my guests, what does true wellness mean to you? True wellness. Um, Well, certainly it starts with having the um, baseline of having a body that is as free from pain um, as possible and is as well as possible. But um, most definitely true wellness is really encompasses mental health as well, right? And um, social, mental, emotional, spiritual health. And I think that uh, any of us in the fitness industry have experienced firsthand that only pursuing 
this physical ideal of, of wellness or well-being uh, doesn't really cut it without the, without the soul. Yeah, I think both Brynn and I would agree with that. We are on that journey as well. And, um, you know, I, I do think that it's so important to have a comprehensive approach to this. And I think that you do such a great job of even talking about that in your book. So we'll dive in, into some of that for sure. But let's start out with those of our listeners who don't necessarily know your story. And I know that your story is longer than can be told on this podcast, which is why everybody should go get the book. But before <laughs> they go get the book, if you can kind of just start, summarize sort of what you know, key moments led up to the journey that you're currently on and the work that you currently do? Well, um, you know, I had a pretty tough childhood. Like I definitely had a lot of privilege. Um, when you look at, you know, the global, uh, community, I would say that growing up in the United States, like, even though my family situation, um, was difficult, like we still, had water, we had food, we had, um, you know, medical care or things like that. So uh, there's a lot that I have to be grateful for. And um, there were a lot of things about the way that I grew up that were really challenging. So by the time I was 14, I had run away from home, was sleeping in clothing donation dumpsters and like crashing on strangers' couches. And um, just, it was, it was an interesting juxtaposition because when I was home in my, my, life was sort of on track. I was excelling in school, being told that I was gifted and all these great things. But um, when the wheels would come off, like they really came off. And uh, so there was a lot of this kind of back and forth, like a pendulum going on throughout my time growing up where I would on paper, you know, succeed. And then on paper be in, a, I, I would say like a failure state. Um, and it made me certainly like very scrappy and um, self-reliant. Um, I did have my first child when I was 19, which luckily I didn't get the memo about how, you know, statistically disadvantaged that made me in terms of being able to succeed in life because um, I never let that stop me from continuing to dream big and hold myself to a high standard. So uh, I just found ways to make it work. And I used to work at strip clubs and I bought a condo when I was 20, 21, 23. I was in my early twenties when I bought my first place for myself. Like I, I just saved up. I, you know, took care of my son on my own and, um, just made it work. And that's not to, to, uh, take away anything from, you know, how real the struggle was for me or how real it is for anybody else. Um, and went on to get into a relationship that I thought was like the answer to, you know, all my prayers, which turned out to be a disaster and ended in domestic violence. And to be honest, like it had it not ended so dramatically, I probably would have stayed and been low grade miserable for who knows, like my whole life. So in a way it was a kind of the best thing that ever happened to me that, um, you know, things ended spectacularly because it allowed me to have, you know, uh, I don't want to say no choice, but to move on. Lots of people, uh, you know, find themselves stuck in like a repeating pattern. But luckily it, for me, it was bad enough that I didn't feel I could go back after that and was able to just give myself permission to start over from nothing, like from literally just kind of the dust of all of that and um, just rebuild my life. And it was a huge epiphany for me because although like my family was definitely as supportive of me always as they could be, and they did instill in me like a great work ethic and a belief that I was 
here to do big things with my life. Like at the same time, you know, when I was at that rock bottom moment in that violent relationship, like when I called home to tell my family about it, like the response that I got was like, oh man, what are you going to do? Like, you can't leave. And uh, that's when I realized like, oh crap, like I, I was hoping somebody would tell me it was okay to leave now. I was hoping for permission. I was hoping for someone to show me the way out of this. And uh, I'm going to have to be willing to give myself that permission and pull myself out of this. Um, so, you know, I found resources. And again, that's a huge privilege uh, that I was able to have access to like fantastic crisis uh, services and things like that. But, um, you know, I started over. I was on food stamps for a while. I learned a new trade essentially when I started teaching bar classes and was something I thought, okay, I'll do this part-time a little bit until I figure out what I really want to do with my life, which, you know, at that point it got me just into reevaluating what I wanted to create in my life. I went back to school, um, became a women's studies major because I got really passionate about um, issues of equality and making a difference for people to feel empowered and, uh, was before too long, I realized actually being a bar teacher was an amazing vehicle for exactly what kind of work I was, I was out to do. And that it was a really excellent platform actually for creating um, an empowering culture. And that sparked opening eventually, uh, starting my own business, opening my own studio, expanding uh, now to five locations. And it is a multi-million dollar business at this point, which is really amazing to say because I uh, never had any investors or loans or anything like that. It was just from the ground up. And uh, of course, now this has been a weird year um, with COVID, but things are, things are okay. Like knock on wood, things are still okay. And uh, thankfully we have a great virtual, a few great virtual offerings, including um, the virtual studio. Um, my studio is called Bar and Soul and we have a live stream experience studio that we do over Zoom and um, an online bar teacher training called Bar Guilds Academy. Really great insights. I really, I kind of take notes when I, when my guests are talking and, and what stood out for me was giving yourself permission to start over and, you know, and you were looking for that permission from your family and they kind of weren't giving it to you, um, yeah. you know, doing what they thought was probably right for, for you, obviously I'm sure with good intentions, but that you sure. were left to, to sort of figure that out on your own. And you talk about that, you know, really eloquently in the book. And so I encourage people to, to read those details of your story. I'm going to turn the rest of this over most of the rest of this over to Bryn in a second, but I would love actually for you both to answer and, and you're welcome to start Andrea on um, sort of why bar, you know, there, I'm sure there are people who are either not familiar with bar at all or might have seen a picture or heard something and think it's like dance and then it's an immediate no. Um, so I'm just curious as to your take on why bar over other forms of exercise. I personally love bar, but I also know there's a lot of people who don't know anything about it. I have kind of been shut off to it. So I would love your take on that. And then I'll let Bryn um, give her take on it since she's obviously a bar guru too. And then I'll, I'll have her kind of take over. Mm, thank you. Um, bar really met me where I was at when I discovered it. I hadn't been uh, an athlete and I was also pregnant with my daughter who's now uh, 13, almost 14. And I was able to still find the classes accessible yet totally challenging and now here we are you know 14 years later the classes are still totally challenging so i love that it is um 
it meets you where you, you are at. It is accessible for people that don't have a lot of fitness experience. Um, it's challenging. I've had NBA and NFL players in my classes, like sweating their asses off, you know, being totally challenged. I've had women in their seventies or even eighties, like my mentor, Esther Fairfax, um, is in her eighties. And like some of her students were just like smoking the rest of us in class. Like they were just so strong still. So the fact that it's so gentle on your joints and yet, uh, there's always a deeper layer of challenge, um, makes it so attractive. But I would say also for me, it is the, uh, the environment, the, the studio community, and just being a part of a group, being a part of a community, which is, I think, something probably a lot of us are realizing more than ever how much we value and probably are missing that this year. Uh, just being a, a part of a group of women is just so powerful. I love that. And um, Bryn, Bryn chiming in and just want to echo, you know, some of your same um, findings with BAR, how amazingly challenging and accessible it is. Um, but kind of diving into some more questions from there, um, I would love to hear, you know, I know when I first opened a, a, my studio in all canonness, it was for the great workout to create a community experience, but I hadn't um, actually sat down and visualized it as this, the platform that I'm now waking up to the fact that it, that it can be. And it sounds like, you know, you've, you've come to that realization as well. So I just would love to hear a little bit more about that. Was that kind of your intention going in that, that this could be a platform and, or is that kind of evolved and just learning more about that specific um, use of, of the bar community? Hmm. Thank you. Um, you know, a couple different things kind of contributed to that. One was I literally had an epiphany when I was taking class one day, I was finishing up my batch, my bachelor's in women's studies. And I was thinking, Oh, I, I really want to make a difference. I want to write books. I want to influence other women. I want to be part of this super important conversation around women's empowerment. And so I thought that meant like going on to graduate school and getting a PhD and like being a college professor. Like I thought I would have to do all of those things to be taken seriously or to be heard um, for this you know, message that I was dying to express. And I just happened to be literally in a bar. Like I can still picture where I was. I was definitely, we must've been doing back dancing or something. Cause I know I was like on the floor looking <laughs> up at the underside of the bar. Like I can still remember the actual moment where it just hit me like, huh, what if this isn't just a part-time job? Like what if this could be that platform? What if I don't have to go get some PhD? Like what if, you know, hello, I've got a captive audience. I've got 20 women in this room coming in and hearing what I have to say three times a week already. You know, what if this was my platform and kind of like, you know, my church where I could just be preaching that, um, that message. And, um, that was the, that was the first moment that it really hit me. And then, so that's when I decided to take bar seriously as my career. I, um, started working for uh, Exhale in Boston and Fred DeVito and Elizabeth Halfpap were my mentors there and I became a manager there. And one thing I noticed, uh, I was, I remember like, this was probably around 2010 and, um, you know, it was like everybody wanted to be a Lululemon ambassador and, um, and I got to be one and it was so cool, but I saw the way that uh, they, the yoga teachers in the community were being treated like these gurus. Like they all had these really powerful messages and everybody thought they had all this wisdom to share. And I was like, well, that's not uh, fair. Like I've got something to say. I, I want to be on my soapbox too. Um, you know, I don't want to just be seen as a fitness instructor. Like I really want um, to feel like 
there's more to this, there's more depth. And I honestly didn't want to insult my students' intelligence by only ever talking to them about their abs and their butts, because I know that, I know that like, you know what, you're just as deep as those uh, students that I have, because I, I am yoga certified too. And it's like, you know what, you guys are just as deep as my yoga students. You're just as smart. You're just as interested in having meaningful conversations. And um, yeah, and I just started to say to myself like, well, okay, what if, you know, we use the, the time and the, and the spaces and the windows of opportunity in the bar class to bring in more soul. And that's where I came up with the name for my business bar and soul. And that was always just like a really driving principle behind it was to have it feel more like a yoga class where it's addressing the whole person and not just, um, not just the physical aspects. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. I'd love for you to just to dive in a little bit deeper telling us more specifically, what is, what does that soul look like? How, how are your bar classes different than you might see in some other, um, studios? What, and what is the reaction been from on the client side to, to that addition of the extra dose of soul that we all need? Thank you. It's, it's been, um, it's been a journey and, and a process. And, you know, in the beginning I was teaching all the classes, of course, until, I had a team that was trained and um, so like the way I taught the class, I was a yoga teacher. So I, I was comfortable um, sort of giving my little, my little sermons here and there. And um, the thing I loved the most about yoga and I thought, oh, bar people have crazy strong core muscles. Like a lot of these yoga arm balances that look so impressive are actually not about your arms. They're about your core strength. And so I started like weaving some of the arm balances from yoga into the class just to kind of um, weave in a little more of the yoga, but in a way that I thought would be really fun and challenging. Cause I know that bar students really like a challenge. Um, so that was one of the things on the physical side, but I would usually try to open the class with uh, just a moment of grounding, usually seated, eyes closed, maybe hands over your heart, taking a moment to set an intention or to read a powerful quote um, and closing out class similarly with like a Shavasana, but usually some kind of a quote or a final thought or um, just a few deep breaths and a moment to acknowledge the difference that you made for your community being there as well as for yourself. Um, but what's been interesting to see is now that I'm not teaching so much and, and, you know, my team is doing most of the teaching, they all bring soul in their own different ways. And that's actually something when we have our um, continuing ed meetings, when we all get together, something that we talk about, like, what does it look like to bring soul to your class? Because for somebody who's a yoga teacher and they're like really lovey-dovey, maybe it's these like amazing hands-on adjustments or these really spiritual quotes, but you know, for someone else who's just like more of a jokester, uh, it's just being super down to earth and funny and like cracking jokes and just being so relatable and making people feel really seen and like gotten like, oh my God, this teacher totally gets me. She's literally in my head right now saying what I'm thinking, you know? So I think like, it's been cool to, um, we played a game at one of our continuing ed sessions where we talked about like, okay, if you had to have um, an archetype for like your teaching style, you know, we partnered up and we came up with, um, these little archetypes for our teaching personalities. So like for one person, it was like spiritual goofball. And then for someone else, it was like aggressively happy, <laughs> which <laughs> that was like one of my favorite ones. But um, the point being like, I always thought, you know, someone I knew uh, had worked for a big, large corporate uh, bar franchise and they had been shushed quite a lot from adding any sort of editorial commentary to their classes. They couldn't say, 
anything. Like you couldn't even crack the slightest joke or say something that was off the script. And I just wanted people to know, because when I was launching, this is when all like the bar franchises were just starting to explode. Like I wanted really people to get that, like this isn't just a cookie cutter. Yes, we have consistency and we, we do care about the tradition, um, the Lottie Burke tradition. And, and, you know, we have a high level of integrity around the movements, but I wanted you to know who your teacher is. Like, I'm way more interested in coming back to class again if I have a sense of like, who the heck was this person? And do I want to hang out with them again for an hour and hear what they have to say next time, you know? And I just felt like um, giving the teacher a chance to really share her self-expression and personality um, was so important. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's going to help, you know, both the clients have a good experience and, and the teachers to be able to express themselves authentically. Yeah. Um, so that's really, that's really wonderful that as you've expanded and, you know, had more instructors on staff that they've been able to, it sounds like, to share your original vision for adding that soul, but even adding their own unique interpretations of that and that you welcome that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I don't think the other teachers are as passionate about like the arm balances. Like you probably don't see as much of like the yoga arm balances sprinkled into the classes as when I was teaching them. But, um, you know, we still have like the core framework and that's just one of the many options that they can choose from. But yeah, they really have um, embraced, I think, the opportunity to express themselves. And at the end of the day, like most of us got into this because we have uh, something inside of us that is longing to be contributed and to be shared. So I just think how stifling to um, try to limit or not trust, you know, that your teachers can kind of use their judgment and um, be able to express themselves outside of just, just the basics. Yeah. Um, continuing to think about using the studio, you know, not only the physical space, but it's social media influence and beyond mm -hmm. as a platform. Um, you know, I was thinking about a moment in your book where you talk specifically about sending an, an email out, I believe it was, or a newsletter to your clients that that did kind of take a more political stance and getting mm -hmm. a little bit of, of, you know, maybe someone even threatening to, um, to stop their membership or just various mm -hmm. reactions and you know, we're kind of coming, we're definitely at a point now where we're also taking stances and, and being political and using platforms. And I would just love if you're willing to share about what that's looking like currently and more specifically. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I felt the sting of being too liberal uh, and I've lost members over that and I've lost members because I wasn't being liberal enough. Um, so like, you know, it is a very tricky thing. I would say that like, Coming back to self-expression, your business is your self-expression. So if you're a business owner in particular, um, you have put it all on the line for your business. You have probably put, you know, signed a personal guarantee somewhere along the way, like staked your life savings on this and um, you've really gone all in and to have to censor yourself or not be 100% authentically self-expressed in that context, I think is tragic. Like that's kind of the whole point of forging your own path is to not be, uh, you know, censored. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, that being said, I would say that even since I've written my book to now, I think I knew, I thought I knew uh, more a couple years ago than I think I know now. So I think there's also just a healthy dose of, um, humility that's needed. And, and I never tried to come across 
hateful or judgy. Um, you know, I always try to be pro something as opposed to anti something. Um, and the fact of the matter is like, if we're not willing to meet people where they are, how are they ever going to join us? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. otherwise like you are just preaching to the choir. So um, I have had this question come up before when I've been on panels and things like that. And um, people are like, well, I don't know if I should enter into this debate because it's big in our community right now. And I just don't know if I want to make waves. And I mean, I think that um, you will certainly attract your people if you let them know that, you know, where you stand. Uh, your people will know and uh, your people that aren't your people are probably not going to want anything to do with you at that point. But I guess all this to say yes to self-expression, yes to being kind, um, no to being self-righteous because we're all learning. And um, if, if it was that easy, we wouldn't be in such political turmoil, you know, if it was that all so obvious. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the importance of educating yourself and, um, you know, it sounds like you're definitely a lifelong learner. Um, could you share with us some things you're doing currently mm -hmm. to, you know, what are some great resources that are working for you or maybe that our listeners might, might benefit from? Yeah, sure. Thanks. I would love to. Um, couple of, I'll share a couple of books I've listened to lately that I've really loved. Um, well, I have been uh, I listen to audiobooks usually because I like to listen while I'm riding my bike. I just read Mindset um, by Carol Dweck, and I love that. I know everybody talks about growth mindset versus fixed mindset, so it's not like rocket science that your listeners haven't already heard about, but the book itself is so empowering. It really just makes you feel like, oh my God, I can totally do anything if I just like, you know, change the way I'm thinking about it. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I've listened to a couple of other great books like The Body Keeps the Score, uh, Waking the Tiger. Those are about um, mind and body and trauma, um, which I think is a great thing to educate yourself about if you're a movement teacher of any kind. It's also a book called Why We Sleep that is long, fascinating. It's read by this guy with like a wonderful British accent. And I listen to it when I need to fall asleep at night and I'll, listen, I'll put on like a sleep timer on Audible and I listen to that and I love that. So those are a few things. Um, I always recommend uh, the programs that Landmark offers, um, Landmark Worldwide. Their sort of um, intro program is called The Forum. Uh, and then there's the advanced course and many other courses that I've done that have really taught me so much about um, how to how to realize um, how much I don't know I don't know. And just really be open to being a lifelong learner and be kind and uh, like not so judgmental with myself and with others. And finally, I will say I'm really pretty jazzed about this uh, mastermind that I just signed up for with uh, my friend Susan Hyatt, who is one of the people in my book. And she is such a fabulous coach. And if you're not already following her, like what I love about Susan is she is joyful and she's all about women's empowerment and she is not afraid to get political. And if you ever wanna see someone really set that example, she does it very well, but you know, she uh, she's passionate. She can be political. And what I love is like, she never seems like she's suffering about it. It's like, she's, she's just got a generally empowered and joyful way about her, even when she's, you know, ranting about something that, uh, you know, she wants to see change in the world. I just think, um, yeah, she's an excellent example for all of us. Well, thank you for sharing all those resources. I've, I'm taking notes and I actually have 
mindset in my bookcase and now I'm going to pull it down. So thank you for all of that. And we'll check out Susan for sure. Um, you know, speaking of being political, I know a lot of what's on folks' mind, um, of, of course, the Black Lives Movement, but also, you know, more specifically regarding the diversity in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, if you've been reading about that or if you had a stance that you wouldn't mind sharing or just information to tell our readers. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wish I had like information. Um, I would say I'm in an inquiry about it and an exploration about it. And it's certainly been a challenge that, um, you know, has been ongoing for years. And I think um, there's a very positive and healthy amount of peer pressure that's just turning up the volume. It's kind of like, oh, having a virtual studio would be nice. And then COVID happened and we were all like forced to just figure it out overnight. Like, I feel like I've been grappling for years with like, how do we get more diversity here in the studio? And now it's like, oh crap, we're all doing something about it now. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, we got (laughs) like, we'll figure this out, you know? So um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm, uh, you know, I've been, I guess some other books um, from a little farther back in my bookcase, Unapologetic by Charlene Carruthers. Um, White Fragility is, I know, a popular one. If uh, you listen to uh, my podcast, Own It All, there was a couple of episodes on allyship in season two that came out this year. Uh, One was with Kirtland Masarski. He is the uh, head of an LGBTQ plus youth organization in Boston. And another is with Charlene Carruthers, who's a a black queer radical feminist activist who um, had some really great tips as well on allyship. But uh, all that is not to say, not to like avoid the question. I would say that um, it's definitely diversity in our industry. Um, It's something we're all still unpacking. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a committee at Bar and Soul uh, internally. Luckily, like we have a lot of really amazing resources from within the team, Um, people on the team who are have backgrounds in academics and diversity and inclusion and who are people of color or you know even students um who work for harvard and brown and so we are definitely like listening very actively and um and trying to get our head around that and in the meantime just trying to uh fix the things that seem obvious to fix like making sure that all of our artwork in the studios is um diverse and inclusive and that everybody who we want to welcome in feels represented. And, um, you know, I think there is the, the root of the problem lies in um, something much, a much larger socioeconomic issue. Um, and I just think the more teachers of color that we can have on our teaching schedules, uh, that is probably the number one thing that we can do to help create more inclusive spaces. So that's just something that uh, we're really, we've been focused on and are continuing to try to focus on. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing all of that and for the work you're putting in, but also recognizing, you know, that there's much more to do. And um, so thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, What are kind of some of your hopes for the future of the individual, maybe your individual fitness studio and the industry as a whole? Mm. Um, well, continuing to be more than just a place that like tunes up people's bodies, you know, like I hope, I think what we're seeing, like 
small businesses such as boutique fitness studios kind of um, stepping up and speaking up about larger social issues is an awesome trend. Like I'm very happy to see that happening because again, like the people in your community, I mean, I don't know about where you guys are, um, but around here, most of the people I know don't really go to church anymore. Like that used to be a thing and I'm not religious. So I'm not like, you know, judging from that perspective. I'm just saying that we used to have places to gather and to um, talk about issues that really mattered. And in the absence of things like churches and um, those kind of communities, I think the boutique fitness community really stands to kind of fill that space for a lot of people. So um, letting studios understand that you're more than just um, a place for you know physical maintenance, but that you actually have the power to create a culture within this community and yeah, taking on like, oh, what do you want that ripple effect to be? Do you wanna be having um, discussions around diversity and inclusion? Do you want to be holding space for deeper um, uh, exploration? You know, I'd love to see things keep trending in that direction. I uh, super love that because I think of, um, you know, it kind of makes me think of like, you know, an, an oil tune-up place. Like that's not what, it, it right. shouldn't just be the, the body tune-up, okay, bye. I love that it's, and your intention is for it to be much more than that. And so um, I think there's there's so much really great wisdom to unpack in your journey and what you have created in your studio and your community. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. As we kind of wrap up, um, I'm going to take a, a little piece from your book. Um, you talk about taking care of your health not being optional. And I think this is so important always, but it's kind of become, I think, a heightened importance during the pandemic when, when maybe this has fallen off a priority list for some people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've even wavered myself because, you know, it's like the gym's closed and then it's like once you kind of get off the wagon, you're off the wagon. So I'm going to read a little bit from what you say from this section, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about um, your your take on expanding on that take of it not being optional and what some of the things you've done, maybe even personally, and what you've encouraged your members to do while, while you know, being in a gym was not necessarily an option. So you say in the book, millions of people feel that being healthy is overwhelming, complicated, emotionally exhausting, or completely unrealistic. I can empathize with people who are struggling with their weight, their stress levels, or with continual anxiety because I've been there too. But here's the thing, taking care of yourself is not optional. As Jim Rohn says, take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. So I would just love for you to expand on that and some of your insights into the, the shifts that have taken place in this, in this over the pandemic. Mm. Um, you know, I have started riding my bike a lot. Um, I just had to get outdoors. And even like in April, it really wasn't nice out here. It was still kind of cold. Um, and I would just bundle up. I put on like my ski jacket and I would just get on my bike and um, go for these long rides on this nature preserve. Um, and one night I was coming back from like the most magical time. It was actually, the weather was getting a little bit better and uh, it was like a beautiful sunset and I found these two sand dollars on the beach. And then I, I was like coming back and I like saw a deer go running by and um, all of a sudden like these dark clouds rolled in and it got really windy. Uh, well, I was only like wearing a tank top and a gust of wind literally blew my bike into the curb and I like wiped out on the sidewalk, like just totally like, you know, ate crap on the sidewalk. And um, 
skinned the crap out of my elbow, like just really deep road rash. And it was weird because even just for a few days, I couldn't do normal stuff. Like taking a shower was weird and I didn't want to work out. Everything felt uncomfortable. And then there were like protests happening and I wanted to go to them, but I didn't want to get too close to anybody because first coronavirus, but also I had this like road rash going on. So we were like, kind of, we got to stay on the fringes and be out on the edges. Um, but it just made me realize how easy it is to take for granted. Um, and even when I wrote that, that passage in the book, I think that I assumed that most of my readers wouldn't have had to confront that yet. Like they would have still been in that place of taking their health for granted. And when I was running a coaching group over the course of uh, the pandemic and one of the people in the group has, um, I think she has Hashimoto's, but it's an uh, autoimmune um, issue that causes you know, low energy and just a lot of uh, physical trouble. And she just doesn't, she isn't able to do the things she used to be able to do. And yeah, it's just one of those things that you almost kind of just have to be confronted with what it looks like to not have your health to truly appreciate um, that it, it really is uh, the, the, I don't want to say it's the baseline for the rest of your life because you could not have your health and I would still want you to have the best damn life, you know, <laughs> imaginable. Um, but it certainly does put a damper on all the other things that you want to be able to accomplish and achieve. And if you are going balls to the wall on some goal or some marker of success that you think is going to make you happy and you don't feel good in your body. Um, I don't think that the, you know, the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow is really going to be there. I think uh, feeling good is where it starts. And when that's taken care of, then you can take care of all the other things and people. I completely agree. I really love all of your insights into your journey, but also the bar community that you've created and established and your take on just health and wellness in general. And I'm now going to have to be aggressively happy all the time. <laughs> I, I happen love to love that term. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard it quite that way, but I feel like I, I need to use that a lot. So I will make sure I give you credit though, if I, when I do. Um, as we round out, could you share with our listeners, and all of this will be in the show notes as well, but where they can find you. Um, I'm going to link a few of the books you mentioned too, um, but, but where they can find you specifically, whether if they in, are in the Boston area, where they can find you location-wise, but also online and, uh, and your book. Oh, I would love to tell you all of that. And if you are, you know, intrigued or delighted at the idea of taking class with an aggressively happy teacher, I have to give credit to Ronan. He is uh, one of the bar teachers in our Providence studio, if you happen to be in Providence. And he's a trans man, and he just brings uh, such a cool breath of fresh air and diversity to the team, but also an aggressively happy breath of fresh air. So uh, mm -hmm. highly recommend Ronan's class if you're ever in Providence. And um, the studios are at barsoul.com, um, B-A-R-R-E-S-O-U-L.com. And that's our Instagram. Um, my personal is Andrea Isabel with two L's, Lucas. And my book is on Amazon and it's called Own It All. And did you mention you have a podcast too? I do. And that is also called Own It All. And um, I usually use my middle name, Isabel, just because um, Andrea Lucas isn't very unique. So if you search me up under Andrea Isabel, E-L-L-E Lucas, uh, you should be able to find all the things. So wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us, sharing your insights. Um, I love that we were able to have Bryn as a co-host and it's just been a really special time. So I appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me. A huge thank you to both Andrea and Bryn for joining me on this episode of the Minding Wellness Podcast. Mind, body, and soul, all included in the insights here and the practices and fitness routine that Andrea has put together. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. If you enjoyed this podcast episode or any of the previous ones, I would highly appreciate it if you would take a minute to review on iTunes as it helps others find us as well. If you are interested in the Surrender Gym Mastermind, this is your last chance to enroll for the July 15th start date. You can find more information at surrendergymgym.com. I'll see you here again next time.